Have you ever wondered what it takes to build a successful business in the Australian property industry? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Business and Property Development, a monthly podcast in which industry leaders share their insights and experience with host Harry Karadimus. Hello and welcome to Business and Property Development. This is the second part of my conversation with Baxter Gamble, co-founder of DFP. In this part, we continue discussing Baxter's landmark projects, the establishment of development finance partners, as well as some of Baxter's insights into business success. I hope you enjoy it. You know, when we did the city quarter, which was the redevelopment of the children's hospital, I mean, None of the heroes were around to do that. Mm. And we had eight days to settle the site, you know, which turned, doubled the postcode in Camperdown. It's, I think there's 1,200 plus apartments mm. if you've ever been in the city quarter. And I remember passing that on the regular when it was getting done and just wondering what was going on there. How did this happen? Again, it's one of those landmark projects which oh, the, first the dots sta- get connected. The, the first stage, the etage, sold itself out in a day. Is that the blue tower? The first tower as you're going up Piermont Bridge Road. Yes. It's like the first one on your right. It's, yep. it's called etage. And the thing that made it sell so well is they had a French architect and you walked into this one little bedroom apartment and let's pretend there's a small balcony out there and they had uh, you know the synthetic roller doors that you see in shopping centers you walked in you pushed the button and that wall went up into the roof cavity and then you had this piazza outside French inside living area and everyone goes I want one of those yeah. And then they did logiers where you could push the windows out, you could fold them up, you know, like biplanes could yep. into cavity positions, you could flip them. I mean, they designed some of that stuff. If you want to know what I think the success to a development is, what's your point of difference? I mean, that's what the downsize is looking for. We're talking about, at the moment, luxury d- developments and some people want a concierge and, you know, what's your point of difference? Because everyone wants to jump into that space. What is the difference between... Locality is always going to generally make the decision for that person. What's my life going to be like living in here? Or And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got guys like the build to rent, which still really doesn't work in Australia. I mean, they're throwing so much money at it. But if you look at the sheer economics of build to rent, well, 40-something percent of uh, what they call multifamily, which we call built to rent, that's pretty much what happens in the States. And we're trying to adopt that model. They get tax concessions, they get stamp duty concessions, they get GST concessions, you know, they get all of these, you know, that's what everyone's starting to bang the drum about now. Because as a normal developer, not institutional, it's very hard to leave your equity in a development because you need to recycle that to go into the next one. Yeah. And I'm not sure how that model is going to work ongoingly as a yield base for institutions as cash rates get higher. Because when your cash rate's doing nothing, then three to five percent It's actually good. It's good. Yeah. That's but right. when your cash rates at no risk are fours plus, mm. which is where you'll be by first quarter next year for sure, it's not that attractive. Yeah, because so, if something happens you still have outgoings and something's oh, eating into your depreciation, yeah. wear and tear. I mean it's filling a market. And I think it's filling the market because 
the lack of affordability. I mean, there's mum and dad banks sitting there. You it's know? still quite fragmented though. Yeah, Whereas institutional capital, a couple of big players can pour it into a, a really chunky Yeah, absolutely. Investment. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the co-living space now. Yeah. And Let's get back to Camperdown. So again, your role in this one was... Complete debt structuring. Complete debt structuring. From yep. the acquisition through to the last stage. It's a master plan site. Oh, it's like huge. It's multiple buildings, oh, varying huge. heights, You can actually take styles. a photo of it as you're flying into Sydney. You yeah. can't miss it. Yeah. This is probably one of the earliest precinct. Probably the Italian Forum was one of the earliest. But compared to where it's all grown to today, that was quite a large development in its time to have like four or 500 apartments. Yeah, that would have been big back in the day, plus mixed use as well. Oh, yeah. Camperdown would be more resi focused. I mean, oh, there's a couple oh, of shops down yeah, there. Yeah, there's but... an Italian restaurant. Oh, well, there was an Italian restaurant in Germans. Most of it was all residential. I actually, when, I, when we used to live in Forest Lodge, I used to love walking through that site. I mean, it just had great landscaping, variety of buildings. I can tell you that the huge, I think it was Jacaranda or Oak Tree, was the biggest bond any developer in my, who I've worked with paid the largest amount of money, I think it was $2 million, not to have that tree killed. So when you walk in, if you've ever walked in, and there's that, that beautiful, I can't remember if it's a jacaranda or it's a like beautiful yeah. tree. It was all security guard. There's actually a security guard there. Protecting it. Protecting it. You know, but once again, uh, you know, like the Italian Forum, a point of difference. I think a good, uh, I think a good development ages well. It has aged well. I'll yeah. That. Do you know what I mean? And it still feels relevant. I mean, sure, the interiors may be coloured, things like that, seeing hot pink one year, whatever, you know, stark or tile. I mean, these are the stuff we look at as well, because with our experience, can say to clients, who are you building for, and what does your product look like at the end of the day? Because if you can't help them with that, they're not going to exit the development. Our partners with money are not going to exit the development. And we're all stuck in the same boat. And nobody wants to be stuck in the same boat in that circumstance unless the model is to be stuck in the same boat. Well, I mean, I guess the built-to-rent models, but I I think that's, you know, I don't think that's stuck in the same boat. That's a conscious decision. It's a very deliberate. The lifestyle design of that Philip Robert, that was the architect, I was trying to remember. The lifestyle design of that was way ahead. And I think if you're doing something, and it seems to be what's happening at the moment on the lifestyle developments where it's not going to age, do you know what I mean? It's it's not going to tire. You might want to paint it another colour or whatever, but the life flow of the development of where you're living has great appeal, which is why a lot of developers are shooting for the baby boomer because one, they're a cash buyer generally, and two, none of them want to live in a hundred unit complex. That's where it's important when you're doing a development. What's the long? What's the appeal? Just because you built something doesn't mean someone's going to buy it. But you've also got to be across that because you're the one who. Yeah, we had a we had a young guy that came up from Canberra and built some units in Dremoyne and. He'd uh, not finished, spent a lot of money on the light fittings and taps and, and couldn't sell them. And I walked into there and I'm like, the facility's expiring. Uh, you know those dome lights that you used to get in a bathroom where it was just the glass and two 
they were his light fittings yeah. and then you know it was like you you you're in the laundry was and there was no skirting boards that product's okay if your price point matches it but his price point was over here yeah. and his finish was over here so we we talked to our partners and they advanced another couple of hundred thousand dollars to refit what they could and they sold just because you build it doesn't mean they'll come Moving on from uh, your 90s ventures, Street Smart's property, what, what happened there? Or how did you wrap up your time with uh, AFS? And, so and I sold AFS, when was the GFC? 2007, wasn't it? Yeah. I sold to a public company in 2007. I'd had enough. And then my EA came in and she came in, it's time to go. I'm like, you can't go. You know everything. Yeah. You run the show. And she goes, oh no, 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 not me, you. And I'm like, I can't go, Anna. I own it. She goes, if you don't go, you'll never see your children grow up. Because I was like, we had an office and I was doing the, people think it's great catching buses that fall out of the sky. But you go to Brisbane, then you go to Canberra, then I go to Adelaide and then I go to Melbourne and back to Sydney, right? And I was doing that every second week. There wasn't a lot of home time. Um, And I remember going home that evening and Georgia, who's my daughter, was, I think, two or three and she came running down da, 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 da. Where, where'd the baby go i sold it in july 2007 with the gfc hit, uh by september and i was out so apparently i looked like a genius anybody asked me oh i don't mind if you publish it anyone asked me i'm a genius <laughs> actually anna, anna was the genius and it had nothing to do with the gfc it's more about life so effectively i retired and I'd been there long, you know, I'd been in the industry at that time, 18 years or something like that. Yeah. You know, so you know, people say, why do you still do it? I love meeting people. I, I love doing stuff that people said you can't do. I, I love seeing people that are inspired to do something like the forum or Campdown or other things. But you decided at that point in when the GFC hit that you were going to retire. So what? Uh, how did that play out? Well, I went to lunch a lot for the first six months, which was quite interesting. However, you know, after a while, unfortunately, I got the black dog. I mean, I got the pressure. doesn't matter if you're running a coffee shop or I was running over. It doesn't matter if, from my experience as a man myself, and I can only speak for myself, there was felt like there was no purpose. Oh, you could go travel, you could do that. Well, not really. You know, we had a young family. I mean, we lived in a great place we live in manly on the beach so it's a great lifestyle and but there wasn't any problem solving or applying yourself or it, it didn't work for me that well being retired and i don't think i'll ever retire don't get me wrong i take a lot more holidays these days uh, and i don't want to say that it was a bad experience so the good part of the experience was that all of my children back then were still very very young so i got to spend time with them like at the, you know, when they're, you know, taking them fishing and, you know, and just being around them. That was a gift. Yeah. So, and then I was walking around a coffee shop and there's a lady that was looked stressed about something and a baby and she's filling in a bank. And I said, are you all right? And she goes, oh, I'm trying, I'm trying to do this. And I said, oh, I can help with that. And that's how that got started. That was Street Smart, was it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. And, and, and basically what it did is it repositioned strip retail. It took the old retail centres that the Greeks or the Italians had been owning for 40 years. They'd had one anchor tenant. All the other tenants were 
generally vacant and we'd go and refit it, refurb it. Change the mix? Cha- uh, yeah, and manage it and then sell them out in the yield. As in you would sell, the, you help them exit the... Well, I, I was one of the partners, so you basically would then sell the shopping centre and then recycle the profits into other opportunities. Yeah. What kind of projects were you looking at? The- oh, we did. We bought shopping centre in Chugan, in Orange, in the usual. It's, it's like you on the way home... Your wife calls you bread and milk or nappies or whatever. You pull up to your local, there's an IGA or a food food works, there's a bakery, there's a butcher, there's a hairdresser, there's a coffee shop, real estate agent, repeat offended pretty much nationally. Mm. Maybe some of it's changing over time, but that was pretty much the model. It was just basically, first of all, spending some money on the centre because most of them were quite tired. And then subsequently, then once you'd brought it to current conditions, it attracted tenants and then you re-tenant it and then sell, sell it out as a yield. There's something a little bit different about that though in that your first couple of ventures were, you know, strictly speaking, you stayed out of the... the yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny how... That, I think that's the funny thing about working in the markets I work in. Everybody wants to be a property developer, I always joke about yeah. when the market's running off. And 38 years later, DFP Corporate does property development as well. How does DFP come into the mix? So Street Smart's property? Oh, well, Street Smart are pretty much, you know, they had a great team. Interestingly, they're all women, where generally finance has been all men. These were like all mums. Um, and then Matt Royal, that now owns half of this group, used to be my general manager of the Brisbane office in Queensland for AFS. And he was at that time working at Bankwest in credit asset management, running running a $100 million portfolio or something like that. And came down and saw me and we went to lunch and he said to me, look, I'm thinking of giving up the bank. I want to start a debt consultancy firm. This is 2011, so the, uh, a lot of the work subsequently was debt workout strategies for, you know, it wasn't debt placements. Like, this is... How do you get out of that situation? And I said, so you're going to leave, you know, your mega job and your comfy credit cards to start a business? And he said, yeah. So I said, why are you talking? He said, I want you to partner it. Okay. I said, thinking, not happening. Never going to leave. And it comes back three or four months later. He goes, company's incorporated. Here's your shares. Go to work. <laughs> and then he went, geez, I've got to do it. It was the best thing ever. Yeah. So I got back in it. 70% of our work back then was working debt workout stuff. Okay. So like, that many troubled developments that needed... If you really open your eyes at the moment... That's where we're at now. We're, he- we're there or we're heading even deeper. Anyone that bought a site in the last 18 months is going to have a problem. Uh, negative equity, you mean? Yep. yep. Valuations will stack on the GRV, but the residual or, or the end values... There might be a little bit of softening in some markets. We're not seeing it in all markets. I'm not one of these alarmists that go, the property market's failing. I mean, seriously. People that have bought previously, they didn't do anything wrong. It's just that the market's moved against them. Yeah. We had a developer that thought his site was worth 1.1 and one would assert that it was worth that because he'd borrowed 600 on it, so 60% on the land value, thinking he'd have enough equity. To... Once we did a reverse feasibility for him, his site was worth the same amount as his debt. He was going to build himself out of it, but mm. decided that it would just abandon it and sell it and take the loss on the land. You're in that market now, and it'll get worse. I, I think first quarter next year, 
is when it's really going to start. So it's, so, not ju- it's not just the interest rate though, isn't it? It's, it's the valuation on the property that you're... Yeah, absolutely. Or that you're looking at delivering and yeah, that's just not yeah. there as well. The people of significant wealth or people that have done well, none of this is going to impact them greatly. Yeah. Just another blip that they've got to write out? Well, they're not yeah. even going to round it out. 48% or something of your population is, a, you know, in retirement mode or exiting. It's you guys, your demographic, and it's the 20 to 45 club. You know, the essential service workers, your blue-collar workers, it's, you know, the people that actually keep the city running, the guys that are out there doing the roads for us. And it's lost on people that that's what's happening. Mm. You know, those guys aren't doing that, or girls aren't doing that stuff. You ain't getting to work on time. It's the lady that's driving the train, or it's at that basic level. They're the people who are basically the fuel of the macroeconomics, and they're the ones that are going to cop it. Your school teachers. Nurses, salaries for those state government positions own institutions are horrendous. They're not and, and they're fostering the well-being of the elderly and the fostering the maturity of our next generation. And we pay them the least. I mean, what, how's, that, how's that play out? How's that an incentive? They're the people that are going to be impacted. I was talking to uh, my partner's friend, who's a school teacher. She's saying, what do you think's happening with interest rates? And I said, oh, I think they're gonna be, you know, somewhere between four and six. She said, we're already at four. You could hear it in a whisper, but we're already at four. I said, yeah, well, you'll probably end up at six. Yeah, it's not good when people are under that kind of pressure, is it? No, she's looking after our kids while we were at work. Hmm. She's teaching them. I know, the fu- teaching the future and you, you don't pay them enough. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous, right? It's just ridiculous. Yeah. So heading back to DFP, you're doing you're doing debt workouts, but then you've also yeah, we've got our own corporate AFSL now. Uh, so we raise our own capital and advance our own money. We've partnered with uh, some of our long term clients. You do get the new blokes coming in and said, "Oh, we want to be a developer. We don't have any money. You blokes have it, so we'll have all of it." Thanks. And I'm like, "You've got nothing at stake." Yeah, you to have some skin, don't you? It's not even this. You've just got nothing at stake. Yeah. No one looks after the fruit shop like the bloke that owns it. And if they've got nothing at stake, you know, on larger transactions, obviously, it's a whole different proposition. But on five townhouses or 20 units or stuff like that, it's like... So, yeah, no, we... So that's debt placement and capital raise and it's almost like funds management, isn't it? Well, yeah. RFSL is a wholesale fund. I mean, we did affordable housing five years ago. And everyone's talking about it now. I'm like, we wrote a white paper six years ago on build to rent, why it didn't work in Australia. Nothing's changed though, but there's a whole lot more money that's come into it, isn't it? There's just so much cash laying around. I mean, people that are doing billion dollars investments, stuff like that, they're making two or three percent. Do you think they're gearing up just because eventually the circumstances will change? Does that mean they'll get the jump start? No. Uh, Well, no, it depends. I mean, I don't know whether legislatively they'll make it retrospective on any tax or stamp duty. I mean, once you've already bought the site, you're already paying the stamp duty. Uh, and then there's the tax incentives. I'm making this up, by the way, and yeah. I'm happy to be shot down by commentators, but my proposition is if the government is funding them, that is cheaper than giving the incentives for other people to do them. Do you think, though, that it's got to... just trying to think, if, if the government funds those kinds of things, is it a viable option? Like, shouldn't it stack up on its own... On its own merits? I don't think they can. No. Well, no, they, it politicises it. We're going to deliver a million homes. Great headline. 
Let's yeah. see what happens. Who pays for it though? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'd love to understand, looking back over your years as a business entrepreneur and someone who's well-versed in finance, uh, what's been some of your rules about business success, given you've navigated four or five oh, business building ventures? Uh, it's not that complicated. When we meet new clients, I always say, and they go, well, you know how we know you guys are not this and that. I said, it's easy because my name is so in the crowd, right? It's not like John Smith. No disrespects to John Smiths in the world, by the way. <laughs> Backs the gambler. It's not like you could hide that, right? Or DFP. And I say, if you can find one article or issue where we've done the wrong thing, don't come. Yeah. Just one. I think it's same in life as, as in um, business. I think you need to treat people with kindness and respect. I think that you need to treat the people in your business with kindness and respect. And I think you need to treat your clients with kindness and respect. And sometimes kindness is tough love. You know, saying no is not a pleasant thing, but if my son was going to be doing something silly, I'd be saying no to. Sometimes it could land quite abrasive or arrogant, but young chap was saying before, wanted to, you know, build it out. I'm like, mate, sell the land, get yourself out of the, get yourself out of harm's way. We're very much a family culture. And I don't mean that lightly. We have very strong relationships with our staff we will support them wherever we can on a personal level with their families if you want to have a successful business have the people in your business be successful look after them as well oh well they look after you and be generous and share i said to one of our credit managers who ironically keeps sending me all these approaches she gets and linked in with giggles and i said what do you think she goes well, obviously, they don't understand the ridiculous amount of money you pay me and the benefits that you also provide. That looks like hard work, Bax. So it's <laughs> going to employ me. <laughs> and I just laughed. I said, really? She goes, I'm unemployable now. So don't go anywhere. That's the thing. <laughs> well, no, she can. Yeah. What, you don't think in the current climate that our staff have been trying to be punched? But you've got to lay the groundwork. It's not, it's, it can't be a reactive. Oh, no, it's, 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 you can't be superficial. You can't be superficial. That's no. right. Yeah. You know, if you look at the, from my position as a director of the group, in the current climate, if I'm spending an extra twenty or $40,000 maintaining a high quality executive in my team, a proposition where they're respected and a proposition where they're, they're rewarded beyond where they should be pragmatically, and then I go, I lose that person. I've got to go find another person spending the same money. I could probably end up spending more, to be honest. Yeah, so you may as well invest in, you know, invest in your staff. They you look know. after your business. They are your business. Yeah. And I think that's what people expect people to be a particular way. And tell people what you do and do clearly. And this is who we are. This is what we do. If we don't do that, we're not going to sell it to you. Mm. We're really good at this. And sometimes, and we're not good at that. DFP doesn't do home loans. It's not our box. And that's nothing wrong with guys that do home loans, by the way. That's great. You know, this will... It's just not your sandpit. No. <laughs> and I think that's what puts us beyond most other competitors in the market. We have been around collectively in one way or another with an experience depth of some 150 years plus. And we have played in lots of different genres, but that collectivist knowledge has come together. But at the end of the day, the, va the brand value of my organisation is not negotiable. 
And if I'm making a recommendation, you need to be solid. You know, we, 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 we've experienced substantial growth. We haven't gone with, let's employ lots of staff. We'd rather do less, but do it well. Like you were saying before, you have a particular group of people that we work with, but some of those have fallen out in the current climate. Other guys have come in and said, hey, we're counter-cyclical. We know you guys like to do that. That's always good when the capital's coming to you. And one, we're not an institution. Well, we are and we're not. We have corporate officer, but um, ethos and mentalities and cultures not. Two, the other thing that we were told, if you could describe DFP in one sentence, they just get shipped up. Uh, Baxter, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for being with me today and for sharing your journey and your stories. It's been lovely talking to you, actually. Absolutely fascinating. So, yeah, Yeah. thank you. And I'm really looking forward to sharing it. This is the end of the episode. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Baxter's journey as much as I enjoyed putting this episode together. What I loved most about this episode was Baxter's storytelling, his witty anecdotes, and actionable business insight. Hands down, my favourite takeaway was Baxter's one-liner in part one. Son, you can't get a bad pot out of good clay. I think that perfectly sums up what you get when you deal with Baxter and develop long-term relationships with him and his DFP team. Baxter, a huge thank you for making this such an enjoyable episode to round out the year and season two. With the end in mind, there are several people I'd like to acknowledge, without which there would be no podcast. The first is my mum. Mum has been my trusty partner in crime since the very first episode. She does all my heavy editing and audio polishing and has been a fantastic sounding board for where to improve. The second person is my wife. The business has grown in leaps and bounds this year, so Bridie came on board to help primarily with business ops. Much to my surprise, she also took a keen interest in the podcast and ended up playing a crucial role in guest outreach and episode structuring. It's thanks to her that we now have season three lined up and a significant portion of our guests are female founders and leaders, something which up until now was one of the podcast's main shortcomings. Bridie, without your support and organisation, I might very well have parked this at season two. The next group I'd like to thank are my guests. Much like my first season, I am absolutely blessed to have had the experience to speak with and share these leaders' stories. So, to Michael Grant of Cornerstone, Luke Rust of Outbound, Ellie Geshite of Navon Planning, Tyrone Shum of Property Investory, Mark Stewart of Rare ID, Scott Brown of Housemaid Hospitality, Martin Lewenberger of ML Coaching, and Baxter Gamble of DFP. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to speak with me and for sharing your insights and business wisdom. Last but not least, I'd like to thank you, my listener, for tuning in. I hope you've found this series insightful and useful to help you achieve whatever life or business pursuit you hold dearest and most important. Well, that's it from me for this month and for the year for that matter. I'll be back in the studio getting ready for season three, which I might add is already well underway. Before I go, I have one last request. If you've enjoyed yourself, please take a second and rate this podcast on your favourite listening platform. As with any endeavour, seeing recognition for your efforts is extremely rewarding and uplifting. I'd very much appreciate your support. Until next year, take care and bye for now.
Thanks for listening to Business and Property Development. Join us next month for more insights from people whose business is property. To subscribe and listen to other episodes, head over to businessandpropertydevelopment.com.au.